Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Sitcom Club. An old school edition. Why, do you ask? We will reveal all momentarily. This is Heiho Munkat Co. Joining me this week is your old pal Ocho. Hello. How you doing? All right. How how many of the actual casts did we do? When you're saying old school, we might be talking about something that lasted like two casts. Right, as I understand it, my memory of this is actually more vague than it should be for something that happened about a year ago. But for the first couple of dry runs at the sitcom club, it was a live internet radio stream. And the shows were like sort of three hours long. We had people in the chat room and what have you who were all watching the episode with us. And then for the first two or three weeks of the podcast itself, what we know as the sitcom club proper, we would pick one specific episode of one specific show and we'd all watch it and then all bring our thoughts to the table. I'm looking at the list now. Podcast number one, Still Game. Now that, was, that, a spe- was, yeah, that was a specific drama. episode. Yep, yep. Podcast two, Up Pompeii. Yes, Vestal Virgins, yeah. Podcast 3, Marion and Jeff, we watched... Oh, that's right, the uh, long-form, unusual one, yeah. But didn't we watch some of the others as well? Well, yes, and I think that's where we started branching out. I think that the way the DCT had advised us was that if you just watch this special by itself, it's not going to make a lot of sense, so you really need to see the Marion and Jeff series proper for this to make sense. And then out of that, I think, then came the current format where sometimes we'll look at a sitcom in general, sometimes we'll look at a topic or a genre or a particular actor or director, because I think that just doing the one specific episode of a show, it could be sort of limited in as much as how much we could say about this. As we'll discover today, we have decided to go old school just for the week, and Ocho and I picked one specific episode of a show and both watched and enjoyed it very much i presume and that's what we're going to be talking about today now we are a little bit unsure about this because we've already expressed the opinion off air that we may run out of things to say about this one specific episode and so we do have other things lined up for example i've got a packet of doritos nearby i could have a look at the ingredients of that and we could dissect that later on and i know that ocho is in a room which has access to the american game show network and so if all else fails hopefully we'll be showing the 100,000 pound pyramid i beg your pardon 100,000 dollar pyramid just now with dick clark and we can uh, not live tweets but what's, what's the word commentate i commentate on it yeah we could talk a little more about Farrington of the FO. Okay, bring it on. Let's. <laughs> now, hang on. We're, get we're this not thing really. Discussed. We're not really selling this, are we? We're, we're, we're saying, like, come on, let's just get through it. No, we, we've got to really sort of G ourselves up for this. Woo. There you go. <laughs> Gary Davis. <laughs> now, see, I already know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask anyway, just in case this was an exception to the rule. You didn't tend to listen to a lot of pop music video, did you? No. Did you make an exception for the Radio 1 Roadshow? No. No? But even if it was in... And it is only in the last few years that I've seen people (laughs) refer to Woo Gary Davis that I actually know that's some manner of cultural reference and a touchstone for people of a certain generation. I don't know. I mean, I'd need to check, but I think... Is it not Woo? I don't think there's any Woo, is there? Well, I guess the people quoting have misquoted. Maybe. I thought it was ooh. No, actually, I have heard the jingle, and it goes, 
uh, whatever, Radio 1, ooh, Gary, ooh, like that. So, yeah, and I don't know, I think it actually, actually is a woman's voice. I don't think it's just Gary Davis putting it on, going, ooh, ooh, Gary. So, Gary Davis, you're a big fan of him? Did you follow him when he moved to Virgin Radio and presented the album chart show at weekends? I'm not even sure I could pick him out of a lineup of people who don't look like Gary Davis. Not that we're suggesting that Gary Davis has ever been asked to take part in, in any kind of lineup. I'm not saying that. But Old Radio 1, I listened to it like everybody else. And I do remember there was one kid at school who never listened to Radio 1 and always listened to Radio Clyde as the local ILR station. And I just thought, what? What do you mean you'd listen to, like commercial radio what are you talking about and he would tell me these strange stories about the eye in the sky helicopter in the mornings and tiger tim stevens and oh look it's gary marshall i just thought what Ooh, gary marshall <laughs> that wasn't his jingle it should have been but no i just thought that was like oh that's just some local tap but radio one is where it is radio one is where it all happens radio one is where you get the simulcast of top of the pops and I do remember that every once in a while you'd get the commercial stations attempting to try and play Radio 1 at their own game. So, for example, the Roxy. Ah, yes. Creating a Top of the Pops light show for ITV with Kid Jensen, a recognisable ex-Top of the Pops presenter, and they're making all of these weird references to this thing called the Network Chart, which is basically what was going on when everybody was listening to the Radio 1 chart. And of course, I know you're aware of the Radio 1 chart because you used to listen to Sing Something Simple, did you not? Occasionally. Do you want to give us a few bars of the title music? Sing something simple, you'll soon be dead. The ghosts are beckoning you to the afterlife. Touch the radio and join us. Fred. (laughs) Well, no, that's what it was. That's what Sing Something Simple was. It was ghosts beckoning you to the afterlife. What I mean, it sounded like this the, the the veil between worlds got particularly thin at that point. <laughs> okay, now why am I referencing so the reason I'm okay, if if you're if you're too young to remember this, then back in the day, and we're only talking about like sort of twenty five years ago, we're not talking about a long time ago. Back in the day, radio frequencies were fairly scarce, and so radio one and radio two shared an FM frequency, or what was then referred to as VHF. So for most of the time, it would be Radio 2, and then for like a few hours at night, like John Peel or something like that, Radio 1 would get the FM slot. They'd get a bit more time at weekends, and on Sundays, you'd have the charts on at 5 o'clock. It was only two hours at that point. They didn't have any of this nonsense they have nowadays where they have like... Oh, I don't know if you've ever heard like the Radio 1 chart in like recent times. I did happen across it for one reason last year, for one particular show they're like talking to people they're like talking to pop stars and and having phone-ins and and like little snippets of information what the hell when did that ever happen you just have bruno brooks sat there playing records saying here's this week's number 12 that's what it's supposed to be like but anyway okay here's the thing i didn't listen to sing something simple because i'd been listening to the chart i was tuning in long after the frequencies had divided completely i was tuning in to listen to sing something simple because that was the only place I could hear something that sounded like sing something simple. If I wanted to hear new sounds, plenty of places, if I want my radio to be haunted, (laughs) 
This is before you could go onto Mixcloud and type in <laughs> genre hauntology, and all the hauntology mixes come up, and they're all very fine. I did one myself in the days before that was possible. It's the only place to go. Well, this is the thing, and the reason I mentioned Sing Something Simple is because that was what was on the shared frequency, i.e. Radio 2, right before they handed over to Radio 1 at 5 o'clock. So there's a whole generation of what would now be, I suppose... I mean, I'm only mid-30s, but I suppose the majority of people who recall this are going to be either mid-30s or perhaps older, like mid-40s or mid-40s or whatever, who associate the theme music to sing something simple with the top 40 because it's what you would have heard if you tuned in 30 seconds early as you invariably would have done but yeah apparently they never combined did they They never had the cliff adams singers singing that week's chart not that i'm aware it would have been wonderful if they had i mean if they'd like done it for like 50 years of bbc radio or something like that i mean it's possible i don't know but but i don't mean singing the positions and titles i genuinely mean (laughs) bruno brooks saying at number eight this week, it's Sunita and So Macho, sung here by the Cliff Adams Singers. <laughs> well, now we're getting into a whole other area, which is before my time, which is the whole business of needle time. And the idea that the stations, and this is why the pirate radio stations like Caroline and Luxembourg were so popular, because they were just you know, unlicensed. They were just playing records all the time that they were on. Whereas BBC to keep in with the musicians' union, had to observe a certain amount of live music and quite a sizable chunk of their output. So you'd have as much in the way of records that they could play, but then you'd have like other parts where, okay, we'd like to play the Beatles singing Hey Jude at this particular moment, but needle time is limited, so therefore we're going to get the Northern Dance Orchestra to play it for us. But it result in things like Radio 1 Sessions... By 1968, the Beatles wouldn't have been doing sessions because the Beatles had had their own show at a couple of different points, I think, in the early to mid-60s. But you do have exclusive sessions that people then want to buy later. Well, yes, is the thing. I mean, I think that's something that's come out of it in a sort of evolutionary way rather than being the original plan. And, yeah, as time went on and needle time was increased in, there was less need to have the BBC light orchestras playing. But yeah, it's, it's a bit of a shame, to be honest. You don't well, really get that kind of thing. used to have a show where we had a, a different acoustic session every week, despite the fact that we had no restrictions on needle time. So it's interesting. That kind of became a genre in itself. An idea of showing off, saying, hey, we've got a band in the studio. Before I lose my train of thought, what I was actually getting at there was that when the Top 40 was going on on Radio 1, apparently there was this whole other scene along the dial and to the right this whole commercial radio business ugh, called the Nest Cafe or the Pepsi Network Chart and so on and they always had the number one first because you would cram adverts in in the last three minutes so you get to find out what was number one there before you'd hear it on Radio 1 but I don't remember anybody talking about the Network Chart at school Network Chart was just something else it was just there but the real one was Radio 1 and Top of the Pops that was that was the real thing it's hard to believe that there's a whole generation that does not know the joy of the Top of the Pops albums. Hang on a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. That wasn't a thing for you. Well, I'm too young thing. to remember them, so I'm fairly sure you're too young. When was the last Top of the Pops Okay, album? I think that the last Top of the Pops album would have been around about, say, 80, 81, thereabouts. So you're right that it's not within our own specific frame of reference. However... 
by the time I was sort of growing up, you had the Now albums, and that's what I call music, and I would listen to them on, if I want to sound cool, my Sony Walkman, and if I want to be telling the truth, my Satio, whatever the hell it was called. But the reason I'm aware of Top of the Pops albums, and we'll explain what they are in a second for those uninitiated, is that my local library had them, because this is the 1980s, so you could hire records. This is back in the day when you could hire records and tapes from the library and not pay anything because it was just a normal rental, so to speak. I mean, you didn't you don't pay anything for books now, and back then you didn't pay anything for records or tapes either. So they'd have their record collection there, and you'd be going through them, and you'd find all of these albums called Top of the Pops. Well, hey, like in that show. And they'd usually have a young lady on the front who would catch your eye, and then on the back... Look, they always had a young lady on the front. I'm fairly sure. Yeah, you're right. They, they always say, and... It's not like occasionally <laughs> they had a Parsons Radial Floor Steam Turbine. <laughs> Norman oh. Collier and a flat cap. A Coronation Chicken Sandwich. <laughs> not that I recall. Maybe that one was out when I was looking. Okay, so you've got all these Top of the Pops albums. You're thinking, oh, well, hey, it's Top of the Pops, so it must be like in that show. You turn over, and there's a list of songs that you recognise. And this is how it would be displayed. It would be something like, for example... You're going to correct me on this if I've got this wrong, but you get something like Penny Lane, and then it would say brackets, Lennon, and McCartney. And that's the way it would be displayed on the back. Or if it said something like candle on the wind brackets elton john there was just enough sort of ambiguity there to put a doubt in your mind which is all then confirmed when you actually listen to the album because what these were were pretty good but still cover versions and that's what they were all the time and that's why they kept on bringing out these albums when it was expensive to do so otherwise and they could bring these out every few months and you'd have like sound alikes i mean i think there was even one which is covering Bohemian Rhapsody. Indeed, yes. And there was a compilation on CD 20 years ago of Elton John's work when he was still a session musician. It was called Reg Dwight's Piano Goes Pop. And if he just held on a little longer doing those, he could have covered himself. <laughs> As I recall, a couple of years ago was the last time I checked that the Top of the Pops albums were actually available to listen to on Spotify. So if you don't already have that, I recommend it. Now... This is, this is a brilliant segue. Come on, you're going to love this. Right, okay, here we go. Right. Now, all this talk about long-playing records and turntables and VHF and so on. I wonder what Vince of Just Good Friends would have had on his turntable in 1983, because he did have a pretty good hi-fi from what we saw of this episode. Speaking of which, Just Good Friends, episode 3, 1983, series 1. That was worthy of nationwide, that segue. That was fantastic. I think I got whiplash. <laughs> that was... Okay, I'm, I'm dating myself again saying nationwide. That was a one-show quality link. So, don't, oh yeah, we've, we've got to do the brief version, you know, the, the truncated version for people that are in a hurry. So, Osho, what do you make of that Just Good Friends then? Hmm. Well, thanks very much for joining us. I'll be back next week with uh, Second Club. Right, now, for people who are still with us, could you expand upon? Hmm? I don't know why. Nobody in this is doing anything particularly wrong, but it's a will-they-want-they show. And in a will-they-want-they show, you really have to care whether they will or they won't. And for some reason, <laughs> I didn't. We're back to Beryl Marston, where these people getting back together is not something I am wishing. It's not quite the same Beryl Marston thing where 
I really don't want them to get back together. It's like more just, well, why don't you just get on with it and free up this half an hour of TV time? Is this a problem with me? Am I heartless? No, I don't think so. I have exactly the same opinion. And so maybe, I don't know. I mean, I don't know why I have that point of view, but I sort of feel like this in, uh, it's exactly the same as we felt about who's the boss, for example. It's like you're going to play this sort of game of footsie or whatever, and it's just going to go on and on and on for years on end. Just make up your mind. Just get on with it. I'm not saying hop into bed and do it for half an hour on BBC One, unless you really want to, but sort it out and then let us know when you've made up your mind. Why drag us as, as mere viewers into all this? Perhaps that's not really a very sensible way of viewing a sitcom, which you're not compelled to actually watch. It's a weird thing, though, isn't it? It's a very popular form, will they, won't they? But the longer you go on, the more annoying it gets. And then if you actually come down on one side or the other, you've killed the show. Well, let's just explain what we're talking about for people who are not aware. Just Good Friends is a John Sullivan offered series, free series between 1983 and 1986, stars Paul Nicholas and Jan Francis. And the basic premise is that Vince... Pinner stood up Penny Warrender in 1978. Wallander, the the Swedish soul-singing cop, he went out there and got himself absolutely soaking wet. You realise this is all completely lost to me because I've never seen an episode of Wallander. I know of it, obviously, but... Yes, but my alternative ending for that episode I watched, in which instead of being a picture of Swedish stoicism, integrity and grizzled charm, it ended on It's Raining Men. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, no, I do re- see. Yes, I do recall our perhaps more detailed than it needed to be conversation about the merits of the Weller Girls versus Two Tons of Fun. And I I'm never said anything against Two camp. Tons of Fun, but... Well, no, because you know what you were saying? You Kenneth were saying Brenner and David could... Warner are definitely more suited to the Weather Girls of... I don't want to see Wallander... Perhaps David Warner by himself is a two tons of fun man through and through. This sounds like some skit that they're going to do for children in need. I just wanted that to be the ending of the actual show because of the the way the camera zoomed up. Well, we can take a twist of vote on this. If you want to see Kenneth Branagh as Wallander launch into an impromptu version of It's Raining Men... And David Warner. Okay, and David Warner. Tweet us... Yes, I would like to see this at the sitcom club. And if you don't want to see that, then you don't need to say anything. And uh, we'll count how many responses we've had at the end of the show. So you've got this basic premise where Vince stood up Penny five years earlier and legged it. (laughs) (laughs) That just puts a great picture in my mind (laughs) of him in his morning suit and top hat. <laughs> the bunch of people with pitchforks. It just, just jumps onto the nearest tram, which is going a damn sight slower than he would like it to, and eventually finds himself hiding out in Guernsey for three years. That's the idea. And then five years later, they meet in a pub, just by chance. And they slowly, very slowly, begin their relationship all over again. Are we going to give out spoilers for what happens at the end? Or not? What do we reckon? I don't know what happens at the end. I do know what happens because I looked it up earlier on. So they meet after five years and then they start this whole business 
And that's how it sort of runs for the next three years. I'm not going to give away the end. There's no need to, to spoil. I appreciate that everybody's got a different opinion and some people will really like that whole will they won't they business but it's just not something i'm keen on as far as a sitcom device is concerned i mean the thing is that in something like the upper hand for example it's not the only thing that's going because you've also got the supposed role reversal business with charlie being the housekeeper so you've got two different things going on at the same time it's not just about charlie and caroline and when are they going to get down to it so that's not so bad you've got a nice balance there whereas that's what this show is all about. Are they going to, you know? Now, shall I break the PG rule for one instance? I've got the bleeper. Okay, I can't think of any other way that I can say this. Vince is a bastard. I think that Vince, he doesn't quite make Jack from On the Buses look like a nice chap. He's not in that league. He's not Hodges from Dead's Army. He is Army. a pain in the so, isn't he? I mean, he re- no, he really is. I mean, he's just, he's always trying to, to make himself. Twice How much does it cost, the swear box? How much are you willing to pay? <laughs> you want to set the thing now? 10 pence for a and 50 pence for a I, I think a is more 75 pence. If Vince really gets in my nerves, I'll give you a quid for a But he is so, isn't he? Because he's always trying to make himself laugh. His, like, his little gags and his little sort of turn of phrase and his annoying sort of boyish habit of always trying to get last word and it seems to be more for his own amusement than for anybody else's you know what we've done this wrong i'm gonna say we should have watched two shows i think we should have watched brush strokes as well <laughs> because in my mind they're jumbled up that's an interesting thing this was a two-hander there was only one other person in that and that was a non-speaking extra so we didn't see the rest of the supporting cast, and in my mind, the rest of the supporting cast... Are the cast of Brushstrokes. Or were they? <laughs> which is which? No, they aren't, but for the sake of this, let's just make it so. Let's merge the two. So, okay, Vince's mate is that guy with the glasses and the curly hair. Let me think now. Vince's boss is the guy who then was the counsellor in the Vicar of Dibley. And... Uh, who else have we got? I can't think of any other members of the cast of Brushstroke. And as we subsequently find out, Vince himself is the of and I bleeps that. That's not swearing, that's free because that's a spoiler bleep. Oh, I see. Yes, yes. Don't want to spoil Mulberry for people. Well, speaking of Carl Homan, let us play a brief game of our favourite pastime on the sitcom club, The Recasting Couch. What if you had Carl Homan in the Paul Nicholas role? Yes, I think Carl Howman probably make Vince a bit more vulnerable. I think that Carl Howman has an aura about him where I think he would be easier to forgive each time he's being cheeky or if he's done something and Penny's upset with him or whatever it may be. Yeah, I think that he... I don't want that... this to just become us hating on Paul Nichols. No, but the thing is that... Because it's think... hard to tell how much of it is... Paul Nicholas's performance decisions. How much of it is the script? How much of it is the direction Paul Nicholas was given? Because actors get a bit too much credit and a bit too much blame. And how much of it is just the shape of Paul Nicholas's head? <laughs> no, seriously. Everybody's got a face that, in its neutral face, will still bend towards one attitude or another. Well, I think that. The problem with Paul Nicholas's Vince is that he's always got that smirk on his face, and I think that makes it difficult 
for Penny at least and quite possibly the audience to forgive his lapses in judgment the way I've said that it sounds as if he's caught in, in all manner of interesting positions and situations no, I just okay mean, I've already forgotten which episode which series have we just watched the fourth episode of series one I'm just wondering if it might be worth watching later series. Yes, possibly if, so. Yeah. I'm going to assume that the scripts were written before casting and that once you realise you're writing for Paul Nicholas with his smirk, you can start compensating for that. Okay, so what, what, do, what do we think of Carl Herman in, in the role? I think he would have really worked. Yes, I think he would have been... yeah. He'd work for what's written. But there you've got, you see, another thing is if you've got your vulnerable... Carl Howman in series one would there then be the temptation to make subsequent series make him a bit harping on that vulnerability and keep having him then suddenly becoming a little boy lost mind you that didn't happen with brushstrokes but we're talking different writers I don't know only fools and horses do you think there are any places where Del Boy has clearly changed because it's David Jason I think that as time goes on I think that David Jason is given the space to show Del Boy's vulnerable side. It's a bit like last week, we suddenly decided to bring up that Beryl Marston again and talked about the idea of Rodney Buse instead of Gareth Hunt. Or had there been a second series of Beryl Marston, would they have changed the husband character so that he seemed a little less gruff and aggressive? Keep coming back to this. I don't really want us to be setting ourselves in judgment on professional actors who are doing their best, but no actor can play every single part to its best advantage. Everybody colours the parts they're given. Even Alec Guinness, Kodnika wasn't that much of a chameleon that you could give him absolutely any part and have him pick it up and run with it. Didn't like him in Scrooge. You prefer the Albert Finney version, do you not? No, he's in the Albert Finney version. No, I... Well, no, he's hang Marley. on. Alec Guinness oh, I'm getting, Marley. Oh, I'm getting them mixed up. I'm getting them mixed up with Alistair Sim. Now, this is a bit left field. Because, okay, I agree that we need to see some later Just Good Friends to see how the characters develop. I mean, as I understand it, I think that Penny becomes a bit tougher as time goes on. So we need to see whether Vince goes in the opposite direction and see whether he is more vulnerable or more understanding of Penny's feelings. So yeah, we need to have a look at some episodes from series two and three. Okay, give you a few casting suggestions. Say yes, no, or maybe. Okay, number one. This is for the role of Vince, obviously. Tom Baker. <laughs> I know he worked on a building site, but I'm not sure he's really a guy you want for working class characters. I wasn't necessarily going to cast him as a working class character. I was just going to cast him. Well, as... then you've changed. You've changed. The I, was whole gonna, I was going to cast him as, as Tom Baker is actor. Vince is a bit of a barra boy, Jack <laughs> the Lad, working class character, and. Penny is middle class or upper middle class or slightly above. I can't remember. I've only seen one episode. So until I actually see her go to her own house, and if it's just Hampshire with a roof on top, then I'd know that she's upper class. Okay, here is a suggestion. I don't think it would have worked, but I also don't think it would have been disastrous either. Jim Davidson. Oh! Moving on. No, 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 seriously. Okay, Jim Davidson's character, as in Up the Elephant and Round the Castle. And then but he's, yeah, he's... The, He'd be smirking even more. He would, yes, yes. I think he'd feel bad for Penny. <laughs> As in, what the hell is she doing? <laughs> I'm going to run with this guy, she should just move on. Now, I want and... to come back to 
something I just said there, Jack the Lad, before you suddenly start suggesting Ronald Lacey. <laughs> now, he's got a great smock, of course, but he only shows not, it at Not Ronald time. Lacey in character as the character he played in Porridge, but the one he played in Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> Jack the Lad versus Rough Diamond. Now, I think Vince is supposed to be a rough diamond, but he comes across as... Jack the lad, love them and leave them, smirk at them. Oh, now hang on a second. Now we're going to need to check some details here because I have actually just... I've, I think I've got a good suggestion. But we'll need to check some details to see if he's a, a similar age to Paul Nicholas, which I think he probably is. Larry Lamb. Hang on. Well, hang on a minute, I have to look that one up. As soon as you see his face, you'll recognise him. He was in EastEnders for a long time. He was with Alison Steadman and Gavin and Stacey. Been all manner of things, and yeah, he's ideal for that. I do of... not recognise this person. You don't recognise Larry Lamb. I do not recognise Larry Lamb. I just to check what you're googling there. You're googling Larry Lamb, not Larry the Lamb. I'm googling Larry Lamb, and he appears to be standing outside the Queen Vic. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I do yeah, not recognise yeah. him. Okay, let's start moving. I'm really surprised that you don't. Let's start moving so through time things. and space. Let's We're start going back pushing. to Tom Baker now. No, let's start pushing. Let's start pushing it backwards a bit. Say. Somehow, it gets commissioned way earlier, maybe even before John Sullivan's become a professional writer. Tony Selby. Okay. Or, even better, this might come out of left field, Edward Woodward. (laughs) No, it's that thing in Callan. He's, you know, he's the hello darling quality, but then sometimes he just, he's out of his depth. Now, admittedly, sometimes he's out of his depth when he's killing people. (laughs) I'm not (laughs) suggesting that for Vince, but I'm just saying that maybe... He could balance the slightly cheeky Jack the Lad, but then, oh, I wasn't prepared for this. I am vulnerable. For anybody keeping score, I'm not suggesting that as dialogue. I'm suggesting that as a tone. For anybody keeping score, I believe this is the first time that Callum has been mentioned in today's podcast. We will actually tally all these up over the course of the entire series and see how many mentions of Callum that there are overall. But, okay, if we're going to go Callum, Anthony Valentine. <laughs> Now, we've, we've had this with the Paul problem. He just comes across as cruel. Right, okay. And he's on. upper class. Right, I know this is nonsense, but it's just popped into my head. Paul Shane. Well, he did do a bit of drama. I think he was in Muck and Brass with Mill Smith. So he's he's got a bit more range than just doing Ted David Bovis. Croft sitcoms and... I'm visualising him dressed as Ted Bovis in the full-on funny suit and what have you with the big clown shoes. You know, which... no, then you can sort of see maybe Penny, he makes him laugh. She makes him, he makes, somebody makes somebody laugh. I can't remember what the pronouns to use are. <laughs> Michael Elphick. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, maybe going backwards a little. So... We oh, haven't really okay, achieved no, anything, but we're just actually, shouting names out now. This is no, okay, no, okay, no, no, okay. Hang on a second. This is like when anybody ever gets together in a pub and starts, who should be the next James Bond? Who should be the next Doctor <laughs> Who? And eventually, everybody's name. This is the thing. I was just thinking there when you said Edward Woodward, and you said we have to go back a bit in time, or Michael Elphick. Then I thought, okay, here's a name. If we're going to be going back maybe ten years, but then I realised that it had already happened. I was going to suggest Richard Beckinsale. Ah. And then straight away I'm thinking of the lovers. Yes. Well, the thing is is that Richard Beckinsale is is almost too vulnerable. You'd start to, I think, side against Penny. Now, okay, I've need Penny to go Penny would over... maybe appear shrill opposite 
Richard Beckinsale, assuming that he's going to be doing it similar to Jeffrey Bubbles Bomb on Lenny God per Alan Moore. Actually, going over to the Chock-A-Block computer just now to check on a particular film that Richard Beckinsale made where he was playing a much tougher character. And I think that you then... For the role of Vince, I think you'd probably want him we somewhere want him in between t- We don't want two. tough. We don't want tough. Well, no, that's, that's what I mean. I think you'd want him somewhere in between. Vulnerable, but two. cheeky. A little bit confident. A little bit arrogant, but not tough. We're not getting John Thor in. No, no, no. no. <laughs> okay, well, how about that then, John Thor? I know everyone's waiting for you to get some Dennis Waterman. Okay, what about Dennis Waterman then? But the thing is, if he took the role of Vince, he wouldn't then be available for the part of the fiddly foodle bird. But hang on a second. Dennis Waterman, he would have been... Yeah, he would have been about the same sort of age, wouldn't he? Mm, but by that point, he's already in Minder, and he's already a phenomenon. Well, yeah. And of course, then he does appear with Jan Francis later on, Stay Lucky, end of the decade. Ah. So, okay, if we were to accept that Dennis Waterman could be Finns, could we actually say that Stay Lucky is a sequel to it? So, after all this about how we're talking about we don't want to appear <laughs> to be being too harsh on Paul Nicholas, we then say... Vince would be better if it was played by somebody else. <laughs> okay, no. I liked him go... and Tommy. L- okay, and let me go back to... grow into the parts. This is the problem with doing things in this old school fashion of just watching one episode. You don't know if they're having an off day. You... We're going to have to come back to this. We need to but see some later episodes. Practically everything we talk about we have to come back to. Unless it's only one series. Well, you've already pledged that you're going to watch all 68 episodes of watching. Have you not? This is true. I think that you may regret this decision. It has to be done, because if my if my recollection is correct, it's an interesting example in what happens when you start tampering with the fundamentals of your storytelling engine and then try and fix it. Well, do you mean as in if Charlie and Caroline had had a way in episode two of The Upper Hand? <laughs> And they still had six years. Hang on a minute. If we're talking about that, then that's exactly what happened in the upper hand. Okay, they're a couple. They're officially married. The end. Oh my goodness, we've got to keep going. Well, yeah, but that's only that's only like one series extra. Okay, outlasted its welcome by one year. It wasn't as if within five minutes of seeing each other, they were getting down to it in the outhouse, Uh, and then (laughs) coming in with uh, you know, Uh, and then suddenly tiptoeing around each other. I'm pretty sure I got away with it that time. I'm pretty sure that he, she doesn't remember that happened. And I don't want to appear to be harping on on it. So let's go back to our tiptoeing around each other, not officially a couple behaviour. Well, actually, no, you've got an idea there. You've got an idea for every sitcom. episode. Well, okay, well, I don't know about every episode. Every <laughs> get, episode ends with them. And then the follow just pre- somehow have to press the reset button. Well, that's what we were saying about who's the boss, wasn't it? When they were having that excruciating meal with the annoying waiter. It was just like, pay the waiter off and then just get on with it. Because it's quite obvious that that's what you want to do, both of you. So just bloody hell. You've got the kids and grandma out of the way. Just, well, hey. Let's make it clear. We're not being nasty about Paul Nicholas. This is not cravenness on our part, because I'm pretty sure there's no chance he's ever going to hear this podcast. But I just, (laughs) I don't want us in this situation where we're looking down on somebody who is doing a good job, but for some reason it's just not sparking with me. So, right, let's, let's get that settled. 
We're not going to be nasty about Paul Nicholas. Vince, on the other hand, we're going to let him have it. Right. Let me just let me just conclude that part by saying it is legitimate, not not even, not even criticism, but a legitimate observation as a viewer. If you transport yourself back to 1983, and oh wait, hey, Just Good Friends pops up on the screen, and it's episode three, and you haven't seen the first couple of episodes, but you've heard everybody's talking about it, so you tune in. We're having the same reaction that any viewer would have. Of course, everybody's opinions but different, this is the but thing. we're entitled if, to if our opinion. I don't feel comfortable criticising here because if I think somebody's doing a bad job, definitely doing it wrong, I'll say so. We have in the past criticised people's work, particularly whoever did the music on Series 4 of In Loving Memory. Five. Whatever. It's not about <laughs> the numbers here. Here, I can't quite put my finger on what's not working for me. But that's fine. And I because... don't feel right assigning blame. Well, no, okay, well, okay, well, it's the, as you say. To a particular person. If I thought he was... It's the same thing with Gareth Hunt. I think Gareth Hunt is one of the reasons I didn't enjoy that Beryl Marston. But it's not the same thing as saying you did a lousy job there. Maybe it isn't Gareth Hunt's fault. Maybe it isn't Paul Nicholas's fault. The point is, I don't particularly like Vince. On the basis That's what of... I'm saying. Let's not be nasty about Paul Nicholas. Let's go for Vince, because Vince is a monster. Can we get the Twitter hashtag, let's not be nasty about Paul Nicholas trending? Let's see if we can actually make that no, happen. Let's, okay? let's just get some hashtag going about Vince. The reason that we've done an old school episode on this occasion is along the same lines as when DCT and I were looking at 1999 a few weeks back. Sometimes... We might like to look at an entire series and then take a long-form overview of it. But sometimes it's nice just to select one single episode of a show, put it on, and say to yourself, would I want to continue with this as a viewer? And luckily, because it was luckily, it was just by chance, the episode of Just Good Friends that was available to us for this, even though it was episode three, it actually sort of felt a bit like an opening episode because everything that had been established in those first couple of episodes was was neatly recapped early on. And so, yeah, you were just presented with the facts and you got a really, really good feel for both of their characters. And as I understand it, again, to be fair, from what I've looked into since, as I understand it, I think that Jan Prance's character toughens up somewhat later on, particularly in Series 3. My recollection is not that Paul Nicholas suddenly becomes much more thoughtful and given to staring off into the distance whilst writing and reciting poetry. I don't think that he undergoes any kind of fundamental alteration in he his... He becomes Fotherington Thomas, who is utterly wet in a weed. <laughs> he says, hello trees, hello sky. No, you're forgetting Jonathan Morrison bread. <laughs> now, okay, cards on the t- cards on the table... As I'm watching this episode, the basic gist of this episode is that Penny and Vince have arranged to meet and I don't need to spell it out. We know perfectly well what Vince is after because it's very, very obvious. And Penny knows this and she's sort of, she she explains because she explains as a little scene when they're in the park together. And this is actually, I find this quite disappointing actually because... She sits down on a park bench and she thinks that Vince is there with him and it turns out to be just a, a bystander. So she's telling all this too. And she explains that even though like 98% of her can't stand him for different reasons, there's a little spark there. There's still something there. She's still got feelings for him and so on. And then she realises he's not there and he appears from around the corner and she says, where did you go? And he says, oh, I just went off 
to 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 think for a Shaking while. Shaking the dew off the lily. No, yeah, that that is exactly that's exactly what I was hoping for. I was hoping he was going to come out and he was he's doing up his zip and he was saying, "Oh, sorry about that. I was absolutely bursting, shaking his leg like Dick Emery." That's what I wanted to see, but no. Alas, not. So I thought that was an opportunity missed. Although, to be fair, it would have wrecked the ambience of the scene. And therefore, I think it was probably the best that he didn't do that. I just want to mention a little bit of a great way of doing exposition as a joke. A really nice case of the show don't tell. But then there's a way of, if you do have to tell, make it a character piece. It just mentions how that occasionally arranged to meet and he wouldn't turn up. And he wanted an example and she said, June 1978, St. Michael's Church, Ongar. It was our wedding day! Conveys the information, but it works as a gag. Honestly, it does work as a gag when Jem Francis says it. I know I didn't really do a No, I know, I know it, doesn't, it doesn't come across as clunky dialogue. It comes across naturally in their conversation. And it but hey, it's, it really is John Sullivan. Bad. It shouldn't be surprising... He's been at it for a few years now, so I can't really find anybody to blame for why I didn't enjoy this. Okay, I'm going to give you another suggestion for a character swap, all right? Replace Vince with Mickey Pierce. Now, I don't even mean Patrick Murray. I just literally mean Mickey Pierce from Only Fools. Well, he's quite vulnerable and probably a liar. But then you think, why did Penny get as far as she did with him? This guy's just got a big L tattooed on his forehead. <laughs> right, okay. Last last casting change. <laughs> Replace Paul Nicholas with Donald Sinden from Never the Twain. Uh, what, and he's still supposed to be a bit of a Jack the Lad working class character? He's exactly as he is in Never the Twain. I think his reasons for jilting <laughs> Penny would be slightly different from Vince's. <laughs> I, I, I would I know I'd rather see Donald Sinden just as Vince. <laughs> Hello, darling. <laughs> That's my Donald Sinden impression, it's not very good, but like that episode of Three Two One that we saw when they got Derek Nimmo and then had him put on yes! an accent. What? They got Derek Nimmo to play a working class character. Now we're not talking about Jam Francis as Penny. We're focusing too much on Paul Nicholas. Maybe if we give a different penny. Maybe Vince has to put on this front just to get anywhere with a different penny. I think it's an obvious name in the frame. Winsor Davis. <laughs> <laughs> now you say that, yes, it is obvious, but that wasn't the name I had in mind. I was going to stick with Paul Nicholas in the role of Vince and replace John Francis's Penny with Rita Webb. <laughs> no, let's be serious. Come on, let's be serious. We need to make Penny a bit more shrill, a bit more that Vince has to put on all these airs to get anywhere. Jam Francis does have a vulnerable side in, in, in everything I've seen her, and even in Good Companions, a show I love, where she's supposed to be a confident 1920s girl. You can still believe her being genuinely hurt. So we need to make Penny a little tougher so that we... It's, yeah, you, yeah, Vince, you really have to occasionally stretch the truth a bit. Leslie Joseph. I haven't seen enough Leslie Joseph things. I can only really think of Birds of a Feather and the knowledge. Okay. Wendy Richard. Not dissimilar to Miss Brams. You then kind of lose the class elements, though, don't you? You're trying to make her blousier, but can you be blousy and middle class at the same time? I would say you probably could, yes. So you're really familiar with Just Good Friends. 
Because you know the ending. Well, as in, I looked it up earlier on, yes. Do we ever get to see Penny's husband, Graham? Yes, we do. We do. Okay, that's interesting. Now, who plays him? It is Andrew Turrell. Oh! <laughs> Wait a minute, we've got breaking news. Peter Blake plays a character called Lawrence in two episodes in series two. Oh, splendid. Well, hey, okay, let me look this up because I've got to find out what kind of character he plays in. The first episode that Peter Blake appears in, from what I can tell, is called Another Man in series two. So that's what I'm guessing. I'll have a look at it and I'll report back, but I'm going to reckon that Peter Blake comes in and makes Penny appreciate Vince's good qualities, whatever they may be. The episode's got a nice, simple plot. Is she going to stay the night or isn't she? It's, it's the will-they-want-they situation in miniature. Now, this says a lot more about me than it says about the character of Vince. Because they go back to his flat, basically, and they have dinner, and you know what he's angling for, and all this kind of business. I was getting a little bit tired of Vince himself. I was sort of thinking, why on earth does Penny put up with him? Why does she put up with his just annoying habits? So much so that whilst watching it, I started to make a list called, in inverted commas, facts about Vince. Now, I've got a we few We should do this for everything. So if you've got any ideas as to things that Vince might get up to, then if you tweet us at the sitcom club and use the hashtag facts about Vince. But here's just a handful of... Oh, is this a Chuck Norris type thing? Well, it's, it's sort of, but not in a complimentary way. Because I was trying to think of things that he would actually do. I'm not trying to think of things that are ridiculous here. I'm trying to think of characteristics that you could give him that... If it happened, if it actually turned out in an episode, you wouldn't be all that surprised. So, for example, he's topping up Penny's wine glass quite liberally. I've written here, He buys Tesco value wine, brackets, cardboard carton like orange juice, and decant into expensive bottle. Now, you can't possibly disagree with that. I mean, if they put that in as like a little 30-second bit before he answers the door, you would not have been remotely surprised, would you? No. The last time I was in one of the large Tesco's, I did notice that they do actually have wine like that. They've got like the absolute ultra-value wine that looks like a two-pint milk carton. He washes the milk sauce off a tin of semolina, adds black food dye and salt, and says it's caviar. He has been known, Rigsby style, to donate copper coins to charity boxes whilst rattling the tin to make it sound more impressive. He w- <laughs> He once cut the ears off a bear in an attempt to make a real-life honey monster. <laughs> now, what, if any, was his motivation for this hideous act? Scientific curiosity. <laughs> I was sort of thinking, okay, could it be that Penny's previously said to him, that's the thing with you, Vince, you're so predictable. And so he thinks that evening he's going to surprise her and he's going to run out and say, don't forget the honey, mommy. (laughs) Penny's went, which honey monster was real? Now I wish that we'd seen episode four, which I presume you're quoting from. My final fact about Vince I have in front of me here. He buys little blue pills from a bloke in the pub, brackets, Roy Kinnear as Jerry only to discover that they are laxatives. Which leads to a memorable episode of the show. He bought a non-digital box. Hang on a minute, that's me you're talking about. <laughs> and had a proper bona fide subscription to it when everybody else was getting knock-off gold cards down the market. Thank you very much. 
So as I mentioned before, this episode that we viewed is from series 1 in 1983. It continued all the way up to Christmas night 1986 with the big finale. Is this last episode of Just Good Friends the one that's all on film? With no studio audience and no actors? No. Could <laughs> Two years earlier, Christmas 1984, we have an hour and a half long Just Good Friends episode, which is a prequel. So it's the whole story of how Vince and Penny met right up until the point where he stands What are we doing wasting our time here? We should be watching that, the prequel and the last episode. We have to get a list here, then. Just Good Friends did it. Only Fools and Horses did it. Duty Free did it. Oh, guess what night that was on? Same night? As the last Just Good Friends. Yes. Christmas 86. So the last Just Good Friends and the last Duty Free on the same night. I'll give this to, to the last Just Good Friends. It is the last, isn't it? Whereas the last Duty Free does not satisfactorily resolve. Tell you what, he's another one, isn't he? Now, there's all this talk of, are we comparing Keith Barron's character to Vince? I was just thinking that he even... Are you actually saying that far from this being a head-to-head competition between Just Good Friends and Duty Free, are they against each other in the schedule? Unfortunately not, no. It was Miss Marple versus Duty Free. So has Just Good Friends already gone out? Yes. So you watched the last episode of Just Good Friends, and did we... Did we give away the big spoiler of how it all ends? No, we didn't. Do you want to do that? I don't see any need to do it, because I only know the bare information, so I can't actually... Well, okay, in that case, my next point does not stand, (laughs) because I don't know how it ends. But let's just assume that Penny and Vince get back together fully, officially. Let's assume that Christmas special is a lavish wedding, and it ends with them arm in arm, having their pictures taken outside the church, looking so happy to be together, and we're sent off with this image saying, everything is going to be okay. Vince and Penny are together, ladies and gentlemen of the BBC One viewing audience. Have a good Christmas, knowing that what you wanted to happen has finally happened, and they all lived happily ever after. What is Vincent Penny's marriage going to be like? Turn over and watch Duty Free. <laughs> the very second he sees some BBC One equivalent of Joanna Van Geisigam, his head will be turned and he'll be Keith Baroning all over the place. Right, okay, I'm going to spill the beans now. I'm going to say it. You are so close as to how Just Good Friends ends, but in actual fact, Just Good Friends ends with the big old wedding and they're just about to get married... And then the call girl that Vince spent the night before with comes along <laughs> and demands payment because he's done a runner. And yeah, it's it just sets the whole tone for the entire evening of BBC One. Then you've got an EastEnders special with Dan and Angie having a fight and you've got Raw Flush where it doesn't actually happen, but according to legend, Della Boy smashes Rodney's hand very violently against a, a safe in order to break it. And you've got Miss Marple, all manner of business going on there. So hey, that's the one where Christmas. she fails to find out who did it. Yeah. It's the one where she doesn't even bother. Happy Christmas, everybody. The inspector's saying, any ideas, Miss Moppis? I'm an old lady. You're a policeman. You can't do your job. What am I paying my taxes for? (laughs) You come to spoil an old lady's Christmas by showing me pictures of a corpse. How dare you, sir? I am writing to the chief constable, and you are going to be on traffic duty for the rest of your career, and your pension 
will probably be significantly smaller than if you just stayed at your desk doing your job instead of coming over here. This is police brutality. It was so dramatic they actually had to bring out the EastEnders drums. (laughs) However, do you want to know a fun fact of the day? How often does it occur as far as shows with a narrative are concerned that a show earlier in the evening has an adverse effect on a show later on? It happened here. Okay, joking aside, we haven't actually said what happens at the end of Just Good Friends, so we won't, won't spoil it for anybody. However, it is a matter of record that John Sullivan was away shooting the third series of Just Good Friends when a royal flush was filmed, and therefore he was not on set for key scenes, particularly the one where Dell is supposed to be a merry drunk and actually comes across quite nasty towards Rodney. That's not often the case, is it? It's not often the case that... I mean, their show only falls on horses, big Christmas show that everybody's looking forward to, and that has, in its own way, been affected by the show that went out an hour earlier. No, that is a good one. We're not going to give too much away about Royal Flush because I think that we could actually talk about Royal Flush in a full podcast by itself. And what we will do... Let's just say that, I mean, that the original edit was suppressed and you can still get up to 15 years in prison for owning a copy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, do we both want to watch both versions of Royal Flush or do we want to take one each and then bring them both to the table? Ah, that's a good one. Yes, that's a good idea. We should flip a coin, find out who's watching what. And then we could really have that. I'm sorry, were you watching the same show as I was? Okay, right, hang on. Right, okay, I've got a coin. Assign heads and tails to the shows. So we're going to say... Heads, the re-edit, tails, the original grim and gritty version. Whichever way it comes up, that's the one I'll watch. Okay, so heads it's happy... It's exciting, isn't it? Heads happy, tails... Grim, but don't worry because if, even if you didn't enjoy Only Fools and Horses, there's a hilarious hour-long juicy free coming up later on this evening, so that's bound to raise your spirits. Right? Okay, here we go. Oh God, you've got the happy version, and I've got. Are I'm you really well... upset about that? I don't mind swapping because I am Mister Enemy at the door. No, no, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I actually have watched the the full raw flush, the uncut version, in order to then give a presentation about it. It's part of my uh, uni course one year. And that was fun, actually showing that particular sequence to an audience who were expecting hilarious, rip-tickling laughs from Del Boy & Co. Should we do that in the forthcoming show, then? That will be done on the forthcoming show. I am aware that we do need to bring a few more heavy hitters, because we do like our obscurities. Well, there's no heavier hitter than Only Fools, the nation's favourite sitcom, if you don't include Blackadder. And I'm sure we'll do that at some point. So your final thoughts then on Just Good Friends? It just didn't work for me. Like I say, I can't take it apart and say, well, this is a bad piece of work. Who the hell made this? Look at look at the things here, the wires hanging down. It's not one of those situations. It just didn't call to me. Well, I understand that it was one of the highest rated sitcoms of all time on its final outing on Christmas night 86. So what do I know? Anyway, yeah, it didn't really massively do it for me, but maybe I should give it more time. Maybe I should stick with it. Although, actually, it's a bit, in all honesty, that is not the first time I've ever seen the show. I have seen episodes of it previously, and it's still not really grabbing me. Dear John, by the same writer, as I mentioned on the podcast months and months ago with Boggs, I really enjoyed. And 
Deirdre and kept me coming back again and again. But if nothing else, out of this experience, we now have the Royal Flush Challenge that we're going to take up. Well, I am now going to negotiate an overdraft with the bank in order to pay off my swear box debts for this edition. And my apologies for the filthy foulmouthness in this instance. Next week, we'll be talking about something. Whatever it is we talk about, it will definitely be worth hearing and you should be here next time on the Sitcom Club.